Are you angry today? I know, what a way to start, right? Ask if you're angry. And it's not because I can read your eyes right now or your body language, although... Okay, never mind. Just kidding. Now, are you angry today? Because as a culture, as a society, as a country, it just feels like we are angrier now than we used to be, right? In fact, there was a recent IBM Watson health poll that was done, and 84% of Americans said, yes, we are angrier today than we were a generation ago. Now, what's the, the cause of all that anger that we feel? I don't know. There's, there's lots of different theories out there. Lots of different things that might rouse up our anger. So let me just ask you, what is it that makes your blood boil? Or maybe a little bit more pointedly, who is it that makes your blood boil? Because doesn't it seem that so often it is other people that can really get our anger going in us? I was really struck uh, this week in the academy as on Wednesday morning we recited the Pledge of Allegiance. We looked up at the flag and as we were going through that pledge there was one word that really stood out to me that the pledge uses to describe our country. Indivisible. Certainly doesn't seem that way right now, does it? I mean, we are, we are fractured and we are broken and we are divided. And, and some of that division, maybe it comes because of, of our political ideas, but it isn't just political, right? That anger that produces division, it comes as we see people who are of a different race, a different ethnicity. Maybe there's anger that women feel towards men or anger that men feel towards women. Or we could get angry and heated here this morning if we started to talk about worship styles and the music that we pick and how our pastor dresses. There's a lot of reasons out there that we might get angry and we might get divided. And I don't know which one really comes first, right? The anger or the division, but I do know that they feed off each other. And that anger and that division, it can lead us to say things like, oh, those immigrants, they don't know what it's like to be American. Or, oh, those, those white people, they just don't understand their privilege. Or uh, those poor people, they're just lazy. As that anger and that division boils up inside of us. And now this, this sermon message this morning, I know it is not going to solve all our world's problems. And I know that it's not going to restore and reunite our country. But my prayer this morning is that as we look at the Word of God, that the Word of God can help address some of the problems in your own heart. 
and it can restore that heart and it can reunite you with your God and his own heart. And so what I want to challenge you this morning, what I'm going to ask you to think about is if the anger that's in your heart, if that is an idolatrous anger. And if division has become a God that we worship. And if you think that that couldn't possibly be the case because you are a believer and you are a Christian and you follow Christ, well, it's not outside of the realm of impossibility. Because today we're going to see how idolatrous anger had gripped the heart of one of God's own prophets. And Jonah was an angry dude. I mean, as you read all of the book that carries his name, that Old Testament book that, yes, it only shares one account of his life, and he certainly probably did more than what's shared in that book. But in that book, anger is the consistent emotion that he demonstrates throughout. I mean, he's angry when God calls him and tells him, I want you to go to the Assyrians, to the city of Nineveh. He's angry that God would ask to send him to those people that were his enemy. The people that he hated. The people who were violent and who were cruel. And he felt that God should understand that anger. I mean, they opposed Judaism. They tried to suppress Israel. They worshipped false gods. Why would God send him to those people? And then you have the anger of remorse that Jonah was feeling as he spent those three days within the gastrointestinal walls of a large fish. And then even when he's vomited back out onto dry ground again and he's alive and God has saved him and rescued him. And yes, this time then he obeys and he goes to Nineveh, but still he's angry. I don't know that there was a whole lot of hopeful optimism or excited enthusiasm in Jonah's voice as he went around the city and he shouted, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. I doubt there was a smile on his face. Well, maybe there's a smile on his face. Can you just imagine the, the scowl as he stomped through that city? And then he was angry when it worked. Those Assyrian people, the Ninevites, they repented. And, and God relented of the disaster that he had threatened. And Jonah was furious. He was so angry that he thought it would be better for him to die. And he was angry at God. Angry at God because of his grace. Because of his compassion and his mercy. He was angry at God because God wasn't quick enough to be angry himself. And Jonah's anger became idolatrous when he allowed it to rule on the throne of his heart. 
and division and separation because of a moral superiority that he felt because of his, his privilege of being a Jew, being a member of God's chosen people, that became the God that was the idol in his own heart. And because of that moral superiority, then you know, Jonah felt that he had always chosen to sit on the right side of the aisle, to sit on the, the right side of righteousness and holiness and truth. It, it allowed him to puff himself up with pride. And to look down on those Assyrians. Do you sometimes convince yourself that the sides that you have chosen in life mean that you have always chosen the side of righteousness, holiness, and truth? And if you feel that way, then then you need to tell you something about your identity, your identity in Christ, your identity in God. Because that identity in Christ, it has very little to do with the sides that you've chosen. Your identity in Christ has very little to do with the color of your skin, your ethnicity, whether you, God has created you as a boy or God has beautifully created you as a girl, whether God has created you as a man or a woman, it, it has very little to do with that. It, it has very little to do with the service organizations in which you participate or the social clubs in which you've made membership. It, it has very little to do with the championship sports teams of which you have been a part of. No, your identity in Christ has very little to do with those things. And in fact, this last one is really hard for me to say. It's really hard for me to say because I love our church. I love our commitment to the authority of God's word and the truth that it brings. I love that we emphasize and we make sure that it predominates in our preaching and that is God's grace alone. But your identity in Christ has very little to do with the church you attend. Now, don't get me wrong, all of those things are important things. All of those things matter in our life, but sometimes we live as if our entire identity is wrapped up in those, in the sides that we are on. And we need to stop doing that. We have to stop living as if it would be better for us to die than for our candidate to lose the election. We need to stop living as if our life would be over if our church closes or if our race or our ethnicity becomes non-minority. And like I said, yes, all of that matters. It's going to impact our lives. It's going to mean changes for us. Some of them are going to be positive. Some of them are going to be negative. But please, please don't see those things as the water of life that sustains you for eternity. Don't place your faith in candidates. 
Don't worship your church. Don't stake your eternal well-being on the color of your skin. Because when it comes to your identity and who you are, you are not first Republican or Democrat. You are not first a black man or a white woman. You are not first a member of Divine Savior Church or a Lutheran. You are first and foremost a redeemed child of God. You are first one who trusts in the Lord of resurrection power. The Lord who rose from that grave and assures you of your eternal life. You are first one who worships in spirit and in truth. And when you worship your God in spirit and in truth, you cast down those idols of pride, the idols of anger, the idols of division. When you worship in spirit and in truth and you know the concern that God has for every single person. You know how deeply God desires that every person know his grace and his mercy. When you worship in spirit and truth and you know the joy that you can have in God's grace. Because Jonah allowed anger to sit on the throne of his heart, he missed out on the joy that he could have in God's grace. And so God asked him a really important question. First of all, he asked him, do you have any right to be angry? But he asked him an even more important question when he asked, should I not be concerned about that great city? And that's the question that Jesus might ask you or I when we allow idolatrous anger to sit in our hearts. When we allow division to be the idol that we are worshiping. When you take three seconds to look somebody up and down and then you make judgments and condemnations based on race, based on politics, based on any of the other false metrics that we use to judge another person, that's when God might turn to us and ask, should I not be concerned for them? And even when we look and we find that person, when we recognize that his question exposes our hearts, as we know that exclusion, we know that anger, we know that hatred, we know that division, we know that those things do not reflect the heart of God, but sometimes we're not willing to let them go. We're not willing to, to cast down that idol that we set up in our hearts. We're not willing to live differently and worship Jesus alone. And so that's my challenge for you today. To live differently. To allow the love of Christ to help you to cast down the idols of anger and division. Because if you don't destroy those idols, if you don't live differently, if you allow idolatrous anger to be in your heart, if you allow division and separation to be the God that you worship, 
then you're not going to live passionately for other people. You're not going to feel the passion that God has for them and the passion that God has for you. God answered his own question when he delivered his son, Jesus Christ. And I think it's incredible when you line up God's prophet, Jonah, and then you compare him with God's own son, Jesus. And we're going to do that as we look at John chapter 4. So in John chapter 4, Jesus was moving from Judea to Samaria. And then John writes this. He says, now he had to go through Samaria. And that would catch every single first or second century Jewish reader. That would just catch them surprised. They would be completely flabbergasted at that statement. Not only because Jews would want to completely avoid the territory of Samaria as much as they possibly could because of the deep-seated ethnic hatred and division that existed there, but also because Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. There were other ways to get from Judea to Galilee. He could have avoided Samaria if he wanted to, but he didn't. He chose Samaria. He chose to stop at a well at a time of the day when only a marginalized, only an ashamed, only an outcast of the community would come out to that well. And when she did, then Jesus chose to speak to this Samaritan woman. And yes, culturally, that was a big deal that a man would speak to a woman. And that's why she reacts. And she's a little bit angry. She's a little surprised herself when she says, why are you asking me for a drink? You see, Jesus would not allow the cultural narratives and the cultural norms and the, and the political rules that, that said that he shouldn't talk to that person, that there should be tension and anger and hatred there. He wouldn't allow those to keep him from showing love. And so to this outcast, he reached out. He invited conversation and even when she rejected his request rejected his request at first Jesus kept going he engaged with that woman he wanted to demonstrate love he reached across the divide and connected to this person and when he spoke there was no anger. There was no indignation. There was no malice in his voice. There was only kindness and love. The kind of kindness and the kind of love that can break down barriers. I don't know that Jesus ever got the drink from this woman that he asked for. But because Jesus was willing to reach across the divide, this woman was able to drink from the living water that only Jesus can offer. 
And Jesus didn't just choose to go to Samaria. He chose to come to this world. He chose you. He chose the people who have rejected him, who have hated him, who have turned away from him. He chose you, even though you, at times, you have chosen to sit on the other side of the aisle, on the other side of holiness and righteousness and truth. Jesus chose you. And he loved you. He extended himself across the greatest divide that ever existed, the divide between God and man. He didn't allow the hatred and the animosity that sin so often breeds to keep his love from reaching out to you. And because he reached out with his love and he decided and chose to heal division and reunite you with, his God, with your God through his very own life and his death given on the cross where there he took on the boiling hot wrath of God over sin. Because he chose to do that, you are united with God. And so if you struggle to love the person with a different skin color, if you find it a challenge to connect with somebody who has piercings and tattoos and dyed hair, or you find it a challenge to connect with somebody who's always wearing a tie and it's tied really tight, if you find it hard to understand where somebody is coming from because they've had a hard home life, or if you just don't know how you could possibly have a conversation with somebody who votes for the things that seem to assault God and his own holiness, find strength in Christ. Look to Jesus. Drink again from the living water of his forgiveness and be reminded of his incredible love for you and his incredible love for others. If you struggle with those things, look at the cross. Look at what your God was willing to do for you, how he reached across the divide. Stare into his empty tomb once again and be reminded of the power of his resurrection to change your heart and change your lives and allow you to love. Ask for Jesus' own strength and find that motivation to reach across the aisle Reach across the city, across the country, across the street, across the sanctuary. To love others who may be different than you. But to show that love of Christ. Allow the love of Christ to help you to cast down those idols of anger and division. The angles, idols of pride. And allow the love of Christ to help you to see that when it comes to your identity, you are first a Christian, a believer, a redeemed child of God before anything else. And that just might make you a much less angry person. <laughs>